theyeshiva.net. We'll start a new Mimer. Parshas B'Shalach, turn to page 130, please. You see page 130, Torah B'Shalach, Daf Samachhe Amud Dalad. Samachhe, column number four. It's an interesting Mimer because it doesn't start off with a Pasuk. From time to time, the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, would start off a Mimer with the words Lahavan Inyan. To understand the concept, usually the Maimonim start off with a Pasuk, either from Parshas HaShavua, from the Yom Tif, from Stama Parsha, from Tanakh, sometimes with a Maimon Chazal, a little more, a little less common. But once in a while, it's Lahavan Inyan, to understand this theme. So this Maimon starts off Lahavan Inyan Lachem to understand the concept of Lechem Mishnah, which is, of course, the two loaves of bread that the Halacha obligates every Jew to make a bracha on Friday night and Shabbos morning, in the mitzvah of Lechem Mishnah, double bread, two loaves, a double portion of bread. What he wants to address here is a very interesting concept. Sheyash Hefrish, it's a very unique, a mime should begin this way. Sheyash Hefrish, Bein Alpi Niglo, Bein Alpi Nister. The halachas of Lechem Mishnah in Nigla, meaning among the Poiskim, are different than the way the Lechem Mishnah is described in Nister, which means in the literature of Kabbalah. Alpi Nigla, according to Nigla, Nigla of course comes from the word Gili, which represents the aspect of Torah that is called the revealed dimension of Torah, which generally rever- refers of course to Torah Shabbat but also the whole Torah Shabbat that the Jews have been learning Medayra Daitis, Mishnayis, Gemara, the Midrashim, and uh, the Mechilta, the Medrash Rabbah, the Sifra, the Sifri, that's the original Torah Shabbat, Talmud Bavli, Yerushalmi, and then of course the literature of the Ga'inim, and the Rishayinim, and the Achrayinim, Shulchan Aruch, Tur, all the Paiskim, etc. That's called what we call Nigla the Torah. The body of literature of Yiddishkeit, of Torah Shabbat, and Torah Shabbat. Then you have the whole section called Nister. The reason it's called Nister is concealed. And this is a Sfarim like the Zohar, the Ksavim of the Arizal, all of the Mekobolim, the original Mekobolim, you have Sefer Yitzir, you have Sefer Habayir, and different Svarim of, uh, of, uh, of Kabbalah, that's called Nister. He said, Alpi Nigla Tzorech Liyazal Gabezah. Alpi Nigla, Lechemishna, should be one on top of the other. Alpi Nister Tzorech Liyazal Betzadzah. If you look in Priyetz Chayim, Priyetz Chaim, which is the Sefer that Reb Chaim Vital transcribed from the teachings of his Rebbe the Arizal. So he brings in Shabbos, in Shara Shabbos, that the Lechem Mishnah should be Zeh B'Tzad Zeh. One on the side of the other, not one on top of the other. No, at first glance, it doesn't seem like such an important difference. After all, the Chal is probably going to taste the same. And once you cut it, and you dip it in salt, and you bring it into your mouth, L'cha'ira won't make that much of a difference. But what is the significance of this? Alpinigla zal gabiza, alpinister zebetsadza. So he's going to go over the subject completely, I mean not completely, but go over the subject quite significantly, and then come back at the end of the Maimer to this question. But in order to understand the end of the Maimer, you have to follow through the whole Mahalach here. It's a very intricate Mahalach. So the Alter Rebbe begins, he says, For this we have to first introduce another topic. When we look at the structure of benching, so basically, 
the first bracha, Hazan HaSakoyl, ends Baruch HaTah Hashem, Hazan HaSakoyl. The second bracha, Noida Lecha, how does it end off? Baruch HaTah Hashem, Al HaOritz Val HaMazim. Shatah Mashachos Memishtayim, Mavur B'divri Razal. On this, the Gemara asks a question, Mesech the Brachas, why do we finish Al Ha'aretz Al Hamazah? The first bracha you finish, Hazan The second bracha you should finish, Baruch HaTashem Al Hamazah. And for the Gemara, Eretz the Mafka Mazah. We're thanking Hashem for the land that produces Mazah. And it's not two separate things. Al Ha'aretz, on the earth, on the land, Val Hamazah, on the food. You ate bread. Bread comes from wheat or other grains. Eretz the mafka mazen. You're thanking him for the land that produces mafka. It emits, it brings out the mazen, the food. But if that's the vart, why do we mention mazen in the second one? Mention the Eretz. Now the first bracha you're saying is for food. The second bracha you're thanking that we have land that produces food. And you see, that's the text of the second bracha. Right? right. So, and you finish. You're anyway telling me that the Muslim, you're not thanking for the Muslim, you're thanking. For Eretz the Mafka Mazen. So why do you Bechal mention Mazen in this bracha? Just thank him for the land, which produces the Mazen. That's why we're thankful for the land. Uverachta refers to the first bracha, Hazan HaSakal, which was instituted by Moshe. Al Ha'aretz Zubirchas Ha'aretz Yerishua Tikeh. The second bracha on the land, Yahushua instituted when they came into Eretz Yisrael. Hatoive zubirches boyni Yerushalayim shenemar ha'hor hatoive azev alavon. So the Gemara says Moshe Rabbeinu was masak in the first bracha of benching Hazan Asakol. Yahushua when they came into Eretz Yisrael adds a second bracha of benching Noida l'chashem alakenal shein chalto ala aritz valamaz. Then you have the third bracha which focuses not on the land but it focuses on Yerushalayim. Rachem Hashem. And we finish Now here there was a difference. When the Beis HaMikdash were David and Shloyme, they were Mesach in this bracha. David and Shloyme, because they're the ones who came into Yerushalayim. Remember, Yeshua never had Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim was left by the Yevusim. It was only David who conquered Yerushalayim and created it as the eternal capital of the Jewish homeland. <coughs> and hence, and hence, <laughs> I don't know if Trump is listening to the Shia, but Yerushalayim is the eternal capital of the Jewish homeland. He's not listening? Okay. Fine. I'll try to deal with that. Maybe his daughter. Yeah. <laughs> right. The Jews have to, the Jews have to know it. The Jews have to know it. Karagil, yeah. Karagil. So Bemele, David and Shlema, but there's a difference. Today we say Rachem, and we even have a nice song for that. By David and Shlema, it wasn't Rachem. It was asking Hashem to continue to protect Yerushalayim. 
Today we say, Uvnei Yerushalayim, rebuild it. But the bracha is for Yerushalayim. What's the connection? It's all in the first in that Pasuk in Ekev. The Pasuk says in Ekev, V'yachalta, V'savata, U'veirachta, Es Hashem al-Lekecha, Ala Oretz HaToyv So Chazal were very meticulous and precise in interpreting the words. V'achalta means you should eat. V'savata means you should be satiated. You have to know how much to eat. U'veirachta, you have to bench. That's the source of Birchis HaMazan. The bracha that is minatayda. Remember, all the brachas that we make before eating are only midirabonon. The Anshe Knesset Sagdala instituted that. The only bracha that we make that is minatayda is which bracha? Birchas Hamazan. There's one more bracha that's minatayda, which is Birchas Hatayda. The bracha before learning Tayda, Kishema Shemekra Havagaydalalakainu, as the Gemara says. But the only bracha on food that is biblically commanded is benching. After eating, not the brachas that we make before eating. Where do we know it from? In the first paragraph. So, oh, so, so that's the question. Oh, that's a good shayla. So ve'achalta is ve'savato ve'rachta Hashem lekechal aritz atoy v'shanal salach. So Chazal say uve'rachta is for the food that Moshe instituted. Al ha'aritz is already for the land that Yeshua instituted. Hatoyva, what's the toyva? Al ha'aritz. Toyva already refers to something else. That's Yerushalayim. This is what the Gemara says in Brachas Daf Mem Ches Amud Aleph. Fregd Alter Rebbe Velama. Why is it? I'm sorry, Amud Beis. Velama beBirchas Hazan Ein Maskirim Klal Me Ein Beis Brachas Hachiras or beBirchas Haaretz Maskirim Gamkin Alachilas Mazen veGamis Saimim Ba Ala Aretz VeAla Mazen. Why is it that there's a big difference between the first bracha and the second bracha? In the first bracha, Birchas Hazan, we don't mention anything about the theme that we're going to mention in the other brachas. All we focus is on the food, on the nutrition, on the fact that we have something to sustain, sustain us and satiate us. Baruch Atah Hashem, Hazanes Ha'olam, Bechein, Bechesed, Noisein Lechem, Loi Chasilon, Omozen, Loi Lomvad, etc. That's the text. We don't mention anything of the theme of the next two brachas. He doesn't, of course, mention here the fourth bracha, because as the Gemara explains in brachas, that the fourth bracha was added much, much, much later. It was added almost a century after the destruction of the second Beis Amikdash, after the Harugei Beitar, the hundreds of thousands of Jews who fought in the Bar Kochva rebellion against Rome, and it was a courageous war to the point that they almost built the third Beis Amikdash. Our Kaichva established an independent kingdom in Eretz Yisrael, and then it was mercilessly crushed by Adrian, the Roman emperor, approximately in the year 130 after the Common Era. So basically it was around 60 or 70 years after Churban Mayusheni. Rabbi Akiva was murdered, one of the Asarurge Malchus, he supported Bar Kaichva, and Hundreds of thousands who stayed in Betar, which was a fortress, were destroyed, but they wouldn't allow them to be buried. And years later, when they allowed them finally to be buried, they made a special bracha, HaToyva HaMetif, and the bracha was, number one, that they could bury them, number two, Lo their bodies did not decompose. And it's fascinating that this we remember every single day. It was such a unique event why was it such a unique event? Okay, it's not for now a discussion, but basically it represented that after the massive destruction and everything, there was still a providence. 
the Jews felt that within all the darkness there was still a special providence because it wasn't stam. You would think, okay, the game is over. You know, it looked like the show is over. It's done. The Jews are done with. But there was still, for seven years, the bodies didn't decompose. And they can bury them. They made a special bracha, so that comes much, much later in Jewish history. Unlike the first three brachas. What's true? The, the bodies didn't decompose. How do you know? I'm asking you, is it true? Oh. Just that it's true. <laughs> but what's the question? The question I, it, is, it goes against the teva. I, any, anything that really goes against the teva usually is not... Um, Usually a Not true. <laughs> <laughs> now you're saying, um, I hear you. 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 So the first one is only focused on Muslim. The second one, you mention also the Muslim. So you're just saying it's both in the text of the bracha and the text of the paragraph itself. Right. And then again in the third bracha, you'll also speak about it, right? Rayenu, Zainenu, Parnasenu, Chalkaleinu, Naltatsrichenu, etc. In the third bracha again, you mention the concept of food. The Gamma Simon Ba, and also the end is Allah Oritz Va'al Hamas. To understand all of this, what's this? Number one, the Lecha Mishnah. Number two, the text of the Brachas of Benching. For this, we have to come into the world of the Kavana Sachila. What is the mindfulness that a person ought to have during eating? As we know, eating is one of the very complicated <laughs> endeavors of mankind. Because that's actually where the human being likely often loses his or her humanity. Basically, <laughs> food, it kills us, quite literally and quite uh, metaphorically. It's, uh, it's like... It's We kill ourselves with it, not that it kills us. This is a nutritionist uh, speaking. Yeah. It doesn't kill us, we kill ourselves with it. Okay, thank you for the awareness. So it's a fascinating thing. You'll have a person who's a great scholar, a great artist, a great mind, a great heart, and really a great personality. And then you put him in front of food. And it's all over. It's literally all over. He loses everything. And it's funny because I'm not talking... It's not you have a person who's just a frivolous, uh, frivolous person who doesn't have a principled life. But you have a person who's really great, but in presence of food... So at least if some other people are there, dafer zechnach einhalten, right? But uh, huh? somebody once told me that he took uh, some big rebbe on a trip. So he say, they pass by an ice cream shop. So he says, "Do me a favor, get me an ice cream." So I never have an opportunity. In front of my chassidim, I never have an opportunity to eat an ice cream. So he says it was a very, it was a very beautiful moment. He was eating that ice cream cone with such geschmack, with such delight that the, you know the pasuk "Mayim gnuvim yom taku," "Mayim gnuvim yom taku." Sweet, uh, stolen waters are sweet. Stolen waters are sweet. Okay. Huh? <laughs> if against them, if against them, they say a Maisa that uh, there was a famous chasana, is known as the Zhlobin Shlo- the chasana, the wedding in Zhlobin. Zhlobin is a city in the Ukraine. 
there was a chasana between uh, the, the granddaughter of uh, the Alter Rebbe and the grandson of Rebbe Levitzak of Badichev. He had a son, Rebbe Meir, who died young, and his son was Mashadach with a daughter of the Mittler Rebbe, who was a granddaughter of the Balatanya. The <coughs> Rebbe lived in Liadi, which is in Belarus, it's up east. Baditcheva lived in Baditcheva, which is in Ukraine, down south. So they chose Zhlobin in the Ukraine, which was a midpoint for the Chassan. We read one of their drushes. Yeah, the Ketzad Merat and Lifna Akala was from that Chassan. Now that Maim is from that Chassan. So a lot of Chassidim came. So Thursday night there was a Shtarka Fabrenge. So one of the Chassidim of the Balatanya was a Yid. His name was Rabbi Shmuel Munkus. Shmuel Munkus had an excellent sense of humor. He was also very Dahoyben Amench. He was a deep person. A tremendous sense of humor. So they needed some food, you know, you're sitting around, if I bring it, it's called fabaisinam. So he went to the kitchen and he saw a big kugel. It's a big kugel that uh, was made for the chasana. So he didn't think twice, he took the kugel and they, uh, they polished it off at some point during the night. The kugel was made by the Alter Rebbe's wife, her name was Rebbe Zinsteiner, for the chasana. The chasana was Friday, Friday night. She comes in the morning and she sees the kugel is not there and she put in a lot of work. She put in a lot of work. So she right away suspected Rabbi Shmuel Munkus, because she knew his style. So she went over to him, and she said, I'm summoning you for a din She says, to who? To my husband, to the Balatanya. So imagine the scene, you have the Rebetzin, and you have Rabbi Shmuel Munkus, by a din by her husband. So he asks his wife, she wanted he should chastise him, punish him, penalize him for what he did. So he says, what's the issue? So she says, you know how much koiches I put into this kugel? My heart, my soul, my passion, my time, my energy, my resources. And she says, and you know how it came out? It came out, it was la creme de la creme, impeccable, flawless. Flawless, that's my taina. But the Rebbe says, and he turns to the Shmuel and he says, and he says, he says, "Ich hab nicht keine Tainus. Sie ist gerecht. The Kugel ist tacker than sehr Geschmack." She's a hundred percent right. The Kugel was delicious. I have absolutely no disagreement with that. Again, that was his response. So he wants to understand here what's the kavana sachila. What's the kavana means mindset from the word lechavin. What's the mindfulness that ought to associate, ought to be associated with food? So here's a real question that's going to be addressed. What is the real power that food has over? people who are otherwise quite cerebral, quite intellectual, quite disciplined. And in many areas you see that they're sometimes extremely, extremely successful, extremely ambitious. And yet in the presence of food, so many people just melt. They just lose everything. It has this hypno- uh, hypnotic. hypnotic power that seems completely irrational because they themselves will regret it in 10 minutes or 20 minutes. So yesh lahak the minyan kavana sachila al pos al pi al posiki al kol moitzah pi hashem. The kavana sachila is articulated on the posik in Parshas Ekev. The posik says loyal alechem levada yichi haadam ki al kol moitzah pi hashem yichi haadam. Now here he's going to uh, convey a theme that we partially covered in the Maimer Sheishes Yomim Toichel Matzus. Before, that we learned before Pesach last year, Lekutu Torah and Parshas Tzav. Some of the themes are similar, even though over here he develops it in somewhat different ways and different angles. But you'll remember, those who recall that Maimed, there's going to be connections. Hapiru Shuvot's Pshat. The Pasuk says you don't live on bread. You live on Moitzah Pi Hashem Yechiyad. You live on the mouth of God. So everyone learns the Pasuk 
bread is not the source of life. The source of life is divine energy. Literally, the Pasuk is saying, I gave you the man to teach you, it's not the bread that gives you life. It's Moitzapi Hashem that gives you life. You'll ask the question, what do you mean? It is the Lechem that gives you life. So he teaches, Moitzapi Hashem is in the Meichel. In the Meichel, it's not the bread, it's the energy in the bread. The energy in the bread, that's already divine energy. That's spiritual energy. That's the point of the Pasuk. The Pasuk is not just not making a statement like God runs the world. And if He wants, He could feed you without bread. And if He wants, even with bread, you're not going to have anything. That's what Pashtas the Pasuk. He's saying, no. The Pasuk is very accurate. He's describing the science of eating. He's not telling you there's another world outside of eating. Moshe was on the mountain without food. Which is how the Ebenezer explains the Pasuk there. And other Mepharshim explain the Pasuk. I'll be pshat. What he's saying here is, no, the Pasuk is very accurate. It's describing food. It's not describing a spiritual experience outside of food. When you're eating, you have to know. There's two elements. There's what the food looks like. There's the physical properties of the food. But the, the sustaining properties of the food, that is actually the Hashem. that's the divine chius that is in the food. Every single food in the world has in it the potential to produce energy. I should say not every single food. I don't know about cotton candy. But many foods. Now, the Moitzapi Hashem is always proportionate with how much energy the food gives you. You understand? The Moitzapi Hashem is always proportional. Let's go back to the previous Maimer. In every food, you have the clipper. And you have the nitzutz, right? Here you see it very vividly. In food, it's very physical. The clipper of the food is what it looks like. The nitzutz of the food is what it does for you. And as we know, usually the two are opposite. Some re- some, uh, somehow cheesecake looks more compelling than kale. But in terms of energy, it's the other way around, right? In terms of nutritious, uh, in, tr- in terms of nutrients or nutritious benefits or qualities... The clipper could be very, very deceiving. So therefore, the clipper of the food is what the food looks like. The shell, the husk, including the packaging. And I should say that today the clipper also includes all the things that they tell you on the package. If you eat this, no heart attacks. Of course, you'll, you'll die before you manage to get a heart attack. If you, right? If you eat this, no fat. Of course, you'll blow up before you manage to get fat. They promise you, you ever see? It's poisonous. You start reading the fine print, it's all poison. But they promise you, the doctors swear that this does this, right? It, it, it doesn't give you cancer. You don't need cancer to die. You'll die from the food. You know, what do you need cancer to die from? So I'll call upon them. That's also part of it. It's selling. It's called selling points. So it's, pos- it's possible that yeah. So <laughs> somebody once told me he used to go to the tish of the basis Yisrael, the Gary Rebbe Friday night. But the basis Yisrael, there was no food. There was no good food. So this paid his fruit. So on the way, he would go to the Strop Cafe. The Strop. Uh, what was his name? Huh? So by him, his wife would prepare as a tish. It was la'elo la'elo. It was me'ena lo ma'abba with the levyosin and the shayrabah. So he says a lot of guys would stop and stop. And they would, 
This is after the wife's meal. After the wife's meal, they would go to Stopkov and eat up as a good Friday night meal, and then they would go to the Tish. So he says, there was a fellow there, you know what happens when you eat a lot of food, and it's midnight Friday night, so you know what the body starts doing. So the base of was a very sharp eat. So I'll just quote him, he says, Eating, you eat over there, and here you just come to let out ear. That's not what this place is for. Okay, so the Moitzah Pi Hashem is always commensurate with what it does for your bloodstream, what it does for your body in terms of the benefits of health and chiyus and koiches that you get from the food. Rather, other foods, actually, what they do is they... Uh, they weaken, they weaken your immune system, right? Some foods you eat it, it right away weakens for six hours sometimes. Your immune system is weak as a result of the food. Or makes you tired, it makes you exhausted, never mind. It makes the body work very, very hard to compensate, etc., etc. So those are the different elements where you have to always look at what's the Moitzapi Hashem. What, where does this Moitzapi Hashem from? It comes all from the Maimer Tatshe Haaretz, on the third day of creation. Hashem says, Tatshaya Aretz Desha, Esav Mazriya Zera, Eitz Pri, Oisa Pri Lamina. Let the earth produce vegetation and produce. That Maimer is an energy. It's a word of Hashem. That energy infuses every grass, every plant, every flower, every fruit, every stalk of grain, every legume with Chius of the Boire Oilam. Hamachaya, who Hamachaya? This famous word, the favorite word, is called Hishtalshalus, meaning it's a divine spark. Are you going to tell me I open up a piece of bread, I don't see divine sparks? Mainly potato chips, fine. But you have grain, where's the divine spark? The pshat is, it evolves. It evolves. Through myriads, Riboy Revava is 10,000. So Riboy Revava means myriads and myriads of thousands of levels until it ultimately enters and becomes the molecules that make up this particular food that the earth produced. On this Chazal tell us, Ein Kol Esav. It's a Zohar. He doesn't quote it. He relies on us. Ein Lecha Esav. There is not a blade of grass on the planet that doesn't have a spiritual force that strikes it and says, grow, grow, grow. Which means don't take growth for granted. When you're examining a tree, you're examining a a plant, there's an ingenious mechanism that allows plants to grow. What happens for them to grow? even if you just examine how they get pollinated. Every detail is literally stupendous, extraordinary, miraculous. It didn't come from nowhere. There's a muzzle that strikes it and, and infuses it with the awareness of what to do and how to do it. The Gavoya Me'al Gavoya is an expression in Kahelas. Gavoya Me'al Gavoya Shemer Aleya, meaning the muzzle has a muzzle above it and a muzzle above it and a muzzle above it in this Seder Ishtashans. Which brings us to a question. Doesn't a person also have divine energy? 
one of the ten mamaris in creation is Nasa Adam Vayomer Elikim Nasa Adam. God said, "Let's make man." So when we say God said, it means God gave energy. Hashem speaking is a form of energy. When we speak, what happens when we speak? The difference between thought and speech is when I think, the energy that I produce is internal. I process information for myself. When I speak, I process and communicate information to that which is outside of me. I project. Why does it say Hashem created the world through speech? Through ten utterances he created the world. Or as the Pasuk says in Tehillim Lamed Gimel, we say it Shabbos morning, The answer is, because creation is really Hashem projecting his energy outward. That's what speech is. So it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor of Hashem projecting his energy and concretizing the energy within the reality that we call life. So one mimer relates to humanity, another mimer relates to vegetation, another mimer relates to animals, to fish, to insects, to the galaxies. Different energies produced different elements of our planet. So he says, you're telling me that we're not eating from the lechem. The lechem is not the issue. It's the moitzah Hashem in the lechem. It's the divine energy that comes from that mimer. But I don't understand, I also have my own divine energy. Nasa Adam is also energy. So why doesn't the bread need me? I need bread, bread doesn't need me. The animals and the vegetation would be better off without man. All we do is destroy it and make it problems. We need bread, bread does not need us. We need the grain, the grain does not need us. Why is it that we need it for the Moitzapi Hashem when we have our own Moitzapi Hashem? That's the question. But the truth is, the words Yichya Ha'adam don't only refer to the animal consciousness, meaning Nefesh Bahamas is the biological current of electricity that vitalizes the body. That is called Nefesh Bahamas, meaning the beastly consciousness. Why do we call it the beastly consciousness? It's basically the animal, the soul that we share with all animals, that which makes us part of the zoological species of creation, that which Darwin picked up on that there are many similarities between man and animal. We both have what's called Nefesh Bahamas, a vivifying consciousness, which is called the biological source of vitality. That is what we need food for. Without food, the food is converted, we can't live, the food is converted into the bloodstream, and that allows us to live. So he says, don't think Yichya Adam only means that. Even a behemoth gets chayas from food. Every behemoth needs to eat. It, why does it say yichya ha'odam? It's not only ha'odam. Every creature, every living organism needs food. Ha'odam is actually referring to that which makes us uniquely human, which is the divine consciousness. The divine soul gets a different light and energy from the food. That's why it says, not Adam, but Ha'adam. If it would have said Adam, it would mean man, human being. Ha'adam means the human, which means that which makes the human human. Not the Nefesh Bahamas, but also the Nefesh Elikis. According to this, we are learning now something new, that there's something in the food, in the bread, that the Nefesh Elikis needs. There's a Maitzapi Hashem, and can't get it from the Adam itself. What is this? What is this? Once we understand this, we'll understand the spell, the hypnotic power 
the magic that food contains, in both ways, like all magic. On one hand, it can kill you, it can overwhelm you, it can destroy you, or we should, I should correct myself, you can allow it to destroy you, better said, or it can actually give you life. But it has a spell, it has something very powerful. You stand in front of food and unconsciously, there's something that you worship there. You lose your mind. If you don't understand what it is, you lose your mind. If you understand what it is, then, like everything in life, it becomes a catalyst for growth. But there's something very powerful. In order to understand this, you have to come back to understand the source of two realities. The world of toyu, chaos, and the world of tikkun, of healing. The human originates in tikkun. When we say the human, we don't mean the human. We mean the human in the human. There's going to be in the human itself many levels. Ki adam Adam is Aleph, Dalad Mem. Aleph is 1, Dalad is 4, and Mem is 40. That makes 45, which is Memhe. Shehu Sheim Ma which in Kabbalah is called the new Sheima, which basically means when you spell out Hashem's name fully, you will end up with the number 45. Yud, Hey, Vav, and Hey is 45. Yud, and Hey, and Vav, and Hey is only 26. But if you spell it out, Yud, Yud, Vav, Dalit is 20. 10, 6, 4. Hey is 6, 26. Vav, Vav, is another 13. Vav Aleph Vav is 26, is 36, is 37, 38, 39. And then you have another 6, Hey Aleph, and you have 39, another 6 is 45. You have Shem Ma HaChadosh. This is Adam. Why is Adam Ma? Because this is the world of Tikkun is defined as Shem Ma HaChadosh. Shulikira Tikkun. V'shoydish behem is v'chayez, heim abchin is toyu shakoidem the thing is that animals, behemoths, chayas, which we eat, including, as we all see, the produce of the earth, are rooted in the world of toyu, which is koidem letikun, which precedes tikun. When we say precedes, we don't mean chronologically. We mean conceptually. We mean spiritually. We mean in terms of identity. Because toyu precedes tikun, so therefore there's a distinction between Adam and behemoth. Adam is shame, Olam HaTikun, Behem is Olam HaTikun. He's still the answer about food, but he's just making this distinction between man and animal. The source of this is as follows. The concept of Toyu is Nekudos. Nekudos means points, one below the other without integration. Each Nekuda is an independent entity. And from this reality, through many evolutions, emerges. From one cause to another cause to another cause to another cause. Until you have the physical creations of animals and beasts, we see practically. Every animal species, yeshlei teva b'fnei has an independent nature. Teva ha The eagle's nature is, originates in the world of compassion. V'shoyeru mikvuris. 
the bull has in it a lot of intensity. Sher Nagach, the expression in Parshas Mishpatim, in Babakama you have the bull that gores. Chuli, ve'ein behem is skalalus klal. Never expect in an animal integration. An animal will remain loyal to its distinctive nature. Whatever its nature is, that is what it remains fixed into. This is who I am, and this is who I am not. Which is why the animal does not have an identity crisis. And the animal usually, besides dogs in L.A. and in New York, does not need therapy. I have a nature the opposite of the, one of the cruelest animals. It, it, it eats its prey alive. It eats Avram and Achai. In terms of how it treats... First of all, the Nesher never learned Masech Techulad. But that would be cruel, no? In terms, I think, of how it treats its babes, how it treats its young, Nesher, Yair, Kinoi, Al Gaizol of Yerachev, the way the Nesher treats its babes and its young versus others, displays a lot of compassion. So therefore... You will not find his skalolos. Vahatam, the reason is. Kireishis mitziyusam amabchines hatoyu she'en be'em miskalolos. Reishis mitziyusam, important words. The genesis of their mitziyus comes from toyu where there's no integration. V'chol midah imuhuz b'fnei In toyu, every midah is completely self-contained. It's an independent essence. V'chol echad v'echad e'na yachal lizbol chaveda. No midah can contain or tolerate, lizbol, tolerate, have savlanut, patience, for another midah. Why? Because it is completely focused on what it is, and therefore what it's not. And therefore, any other midah is seen as an absolute distraction, an absolute enemy. That's what he means when he says that the world of Toyo is nekudois zuta chazubli hiskalalos. Every midah, every feature there, is completely, completely self-contained. There's no integration, there's no borrowing, and there's no lending. There's no give, and there's no take. I am who I am, and I am not who I am not. And both of those statements are absolute. They're unwavering. Identity there, individual identity there, is emphatic, unwavering, absolute. Don't negotiate with a lioness. Don't negotiate with a fox. The whole world of negotiation, of diplomacy, I'll give, I'll take, I'll get this, I'll, 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 I'll find this point in you, that point in you, I'll, I'll arouse in you a sensitivity to who I am, etc., that doesn't exist in the world of the jungle. In the world of the jungle, which originates spiritually in the divine world of Taihu, it's Nekudais, Zu Tachazu, Beliyaskalas, and that's why the Teva of the animal, each one has its Teva, and it remains fixed in that Teva without integration of any other Teva. Since he's distinguished it previously between Zu al and Zu al why here is he using al when he's talking about distinctness rather than... Not al No, he says Zetachaza. It's not al Zetachaza. So I'm saying, but why not Zemitzad? In other words, what he's trying to... You, why does Zemitachaza imply separateness and fragmentation more than if you ever saw, If you ever saw in Kabbalah Svarim, you may have seen a picture of the spheroids, and it basically looks a little bit like a human body. 
You'll have on the right side, you'll have Chachma. You have a source like a picture. You'll have on top Keser, Chachma on the right, Bean on the left, Daz in the middle, Chesed on the right, Gura, which really the human organism is representative of the ten spheres. It says in Zoya, Chesed is the right arm, Gura is the left arm, Teferis is the torso, Netzach is the right thigh, Hoyt is the left thigh, Yisoyed is the bris, the procreative organ, Malchus is either the mouth or the wife, and uh, and then you have Chachma Bina Das, our three hemispheres in the brain, and Kesser is the superconscious above the brain, which is in the skull, and so it's basically an organism. Now we know in the human organism, every body, every limb is integrated, and it's so deeply integrated that, uh, as we know today, in each cell, you have the the code of every the other cell in the body, the DNA of every other cell. In other words, it's not only integration, there is an element of real oneness. And that's why the only way a body functions is all the limbs are constantly interacting with each other, using each one for its strength and contributing to help fight its weakness. And it's like almost the body like works, it's like a team, right? There's an infection, there's like an, an emergency meeting, boom, let's send out the forces to fight the infection. It's complete integration. That would be the element of Adam, which is Tikkun, where the spheroids are not Zetachaza. They're, they're, they're all mixed with each other. They're integrated. Zetachaza means there's one, and then under it is a new one. So it would be basically a chart of Olam HaToyu would just be, you'll have one dot will say Chachma. Another dot will say Bina. Another dot will say Das. One below the other, below the other, without any integrated links between them. There's no bridges created. That's why he means Zetachaza versus the structures of Olam HaToyu. Since animals in our world originate in Toyu, therefore, of course, when we say they originate in Toyu, it doesn't mean Toyu looks like a jungle. He says originates. Originates means you always have to go back to that process of Ishtalshalos, the process of spiritual evolution. But in the divine energy of Toyu, that is the energy that ultimately evolves and gives rise to many of the physical creatures in our world, primarily dominated by the world of what we call the animal kingdom, the kingdom of Balei Chaim, which includes also the animal within the person, of course. The animal within the person is also included in that. So that's the beginning of understanding the distinction between Adam and Behemah as the distinction between two primordial universes, one is Olam one is Olam as will be explained. We started yesterday the Maimel HaHovenin Yen Lechem Mishnah. So the question that was raised is, what is the secret power of food and the sway that it holds over humanity? The spell, the spell that food casts even over the most intelligent, developed uh, human being who seems otherwise pensive, scholarly, reflective, thought out, sometimes refined. And yet, somehow there is this magical hypnotic power that the food possesses where even the mightiest of the mighty, the greatest of the great, just fall like fleas and bees and yellow jacks and mosquitoes in its presence. That's the question. So he begins to explain what is the kavana, the mindset that one ought to have during uh, eating during Achila, and the main thought, the, begin, the, the, the opening thought was, that when the Pasuk says in Parshas Eker, 
loy al halechem levada yichia haadam ki al kol moitzepi Hashem yichia haadam. A human being doesn't live on bread alone, but lives on the that which comes out of the mouth of God. Which means, according to the Alter Rebbe, what it means is not just that a person lives based on God's commandment, but it means based on the moitzepi Hashem of the bread that. What gives you life is the spirituality of the food, the spiritual energy of the food. Every every item of food, every food product has in it moitzapi Hashem. Because when Hashem creates food on the third day of creation, by Yomer Elikim, let the earth yield, let the earth sprout forth vegetation, produce, which are of course the source of all of the grains and all of the fruits and all of the vegetables, so it all has every plant, every flower, every vegetable, every legume, every bean, every seed, every grain, has within it a certain divine chius, a certain koyach eliki, which is ultimately what is the source of the physical nutrients that this provides to the person. So it's the moitzapi Hashem. But then the question is, we also have moitzapi Hashem in us. The human being is also divine energy, also has a divine soul. So why does the man why does man need bread as he puts it and bread does not need man? Why do we need the agriculture and the agriculture doesn't need us? The third day after they created bread, if only after Adam No, that's the process. But the by itself? All bread was gonna create itself? You say the bread was on the Eitzadah, right? <coughs> Gutskios, there were loaves of bread. There's a few shittas, what the Eitzadah was, one shittas that it was chita, and Gemara and Brach and stuff, Mem, yeah, that it was chita, it was, it was great. No, so that's the process of how easy or hard it is to produce, to make, to, to, to produce bread. Now we have to go through the whole process of, uh, of, um, planting and, uh, of sowing right. and planting Grinding. and harvesting and threshing and winnowing yeah, and selecting and grinding, etc. As opposed to what would have been an easier process. But I don't know, I wasn't there, so I... <laughs> Maybe that's the relationship I mean, use here. your imagination. Maybe that's the relationship here. The bread needs us also now. We need the bread, but the bread needs us. Yeah, yeah, that's what we're going to say. But you know, he just means practically that a person can't live without a person can't live without grain, or a person can't live without 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 protein, whatever the whatever the bread whatever the food is. He means term. bread as a generic term. I have a question. Might, might be similar. Again, I don't understand. The grains have nutrients in them, right? So when it's split up. And we grind it, and flour it's going to be that you get affinates, and I get other that's part of it. That's why people don't like to share something. The fifth Rebbe, the Rebbe was once sitting, he was eating soup, and there was lakshin, uh, pasta and the soup, and he would eat with a spoon. So he picked it up, and it slipped away. Picked it up again, slipped away, picked it up. He said, "As nachnis fartik, he's not ready yet." So, so the question here is, what's what's the process? 
So the Nechuda that, uh, that the Maimir starts explaining is that Yichia HaAdam doesn't only mean the Nefesh HaBaham is the biological consciousness, it also means the Nefesh HaLakis, the godly consciousness, also needs the food. In order to understand this, he said we have to explore the Shairish of the two realities known as Toyu and Tikkun, the world of Toyu and the world of Tikkun. Toyu means chaos and Tikkun means correction, healing, structure. And this is based on the Kabbalistic idea of the Ariza, that before our world was created, there was another world created, as we spoke numerous times, or we discussed numerous times, and that was called Olam HaToyu, the world of chaos. That world, in many ways, is higher than our world. What do we mean higher? Higher, I don't mean in physical space. Higher, we mean in spiritual content, in spiritual divine energy. Adam, the human soul, is rooted in the world of Tikkun. The behemoth, the animal, and the chaya is rooted in the world of toyu, which precedes tikkun. And from this comes a major difference between man and animal. And for this, he begins exploring what is the difference between the world of toyu and tikkun. Generally speaking, all worlds are made up of two components. Energy and container. Every world is comprised of the marriage of two components, Oyer and Keli. It's not just every world, every person, every endeavor, anything you do, always comprises two qualities, the energy and the container. Energy is the inner drive, the inner passion, and container is the vehicle of implementation. Just like a container contains the liquid, the Keli contains the Oyer, the Keli contains the light. The keli is basically the structure that you create in order to facilitate the energy that you want to facilitate. You have a dream of a business, but you need infrastructure. You need a place. You need money. You need investors. You need administrators. You need secretaries. Right? You need internet. You, whatever you need, you need an infrastructure to be able to facilitate. You want to create a community, but you need a shul. You need a place. You need to pay a mortgage, you need to hire a person, you need to clean, whatever, everything that comes. You need a bathroom. And you can very easily get stuck in the world of Caleb because it's very draining, it's very overwhelming. Everyone has dreams, especially Jews who doesn't have dreams. Everyone has dreams, big dreams. But to facilitate the dreams, to create structures for the dreams, that's called Caleb. Caleb are always limiting. They always take it and they channel it. And you have to create a structure around it. And the structure is always limited. That's what its job is. Its job is to ask these questions. How is it going to happen? How is it going to take root? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen the next year? How is it going to pay for itself? That's one example of Caleb. You have music and you have music notes. You have the words of the book, the letters of the book, and you have the message of the book. You have an idea... And you have the words you need to express the idea. Everything in the world has oir and keli. Marriage, there's the romance and there's taking out the garbage in the morning. The two are very different. One is full of light and creativity. And one is all about structure. Iris and keli. Every world is made up of that marriage of Iris and Caleb. And they frustrate each other because they're, natural, they're naturally uh, en- they're natural enemies. Artists versus businessmen. Artists are always about creativity. And businessmen are always about the bottom line. Nobody cares. 
there's no market. Some of the greatest artists could not make it in this world. Why? Because they always had to express themselves. And there's no market for self-expression. Nobody cares about your self-expression. It takes uh, a Van Gogh to die in order to be able to sell one painting. Some of them die in complete poverty, even though centuries later their pieces of art sell for tens of millions of dollars. It's the tragedy of many artists. They're about creativity, expression. That's what art is. And Kaylee always limits expression. It always structures it in order to be able to channel it to the audience. And you have to always ask hard questions. So the relationship between Oyer and Kaylee is always a complicated one. Always a difficult one. Always a uh, one with tension and with trauma. Uh, not trauma, but always with tension, difficulty, challenge. There's resistance, yeah. Oyer resists Kaylee, and Kaylee brutally, brutally limits, limits Oyer. I grew up in the home of a journalist, Writers are artists. Some writers are great artists and they submit an essay. The problem is the newspaper has a rule only a thousand words to the article. But they, of course, couldn't write it in less than six thousand words because it's their art. The editor looks at it and says, I don't have place on the page. <laughs> to print another page is going to cost me another four thousand dollars. So what does he do? He takes the article and he cuts it up. Right? The writer takes a look at the newspaper and sees the article, and as they say, Schreiber sterben nicht von Herzfehlern, they sterben von Druckfehlern. Writers don't die from heart failure, they die from print failure. Meaning, they, they die from the mistakes in their article, or an editor actually brutally cuts it up. He's thinking about the readership, the audience, it's too long, cut this, cut that, cut that, cut this. It's all about Caleb. The artist, all he thinks is about, everybody just wants to read what I have to say. There's nothing else worth reading in the world anyway, besides what I have to say. If it's 6,000, well, then 6,000 words. So he writes his book. The problem is the publishers look at the book and they say, nobody's interested in this. So this is the tension of Iris and Caleb. In the world of Tayu, Darizal says, the Iris were larger than the Caleb. In the world of Tikkun, the Caleb were larger than the Iris. To quote the term of the Arizal that's often quoted in the works of the Alter Rebbe of the Balatanya. In Toyu you have Oiris Merubim Bekelem Muatim. In Tikkun you have Oiris Muatim Bekelem Merubim. In Toyu the Oiris are large and the Kelem are small. And in Tikkun it's the converse. It's the opposite process. Now, this refle- is reflected in one more detail, which is the focus now. All worlds are comprised of characteristics that make up the world, or let's call them building blocks. <coughs> Every building is made up of materials. You don't have materials, you can't make up a building. The worlds are also made up of materials. Which material makes up the world? Anybody knows? What are the building blocks Hashem uses to build His universe? They're called the ten spheres. The ten spheres are the ten spiritual building blocks of the universe. And they become the physical building blocks of the universe as well, because... As we learned many times, the concept of Ishtalshalus, every spiritual building block evolves into a physical building block. So when we speak about the physical structure of the universe, today we speak about in terms of molecules, for example, or atomic particles, atoms. These are semi-physical building blocks, even though they're not as, as tangible as uh, you know, we usually attribute to physicality. But ultimately, these are evolutions of spiritual building blocks. The ten spiritual building blocks of the universe are called the ten spheres. 
what, what about Ruach Eish Mayim as the building blocks? Eish, Ruach, Mayim, Afar are of course part of the building blocks of the universe, but they are essentially also parts of the spheres. For example, Mayim is connected to Chesed and Eish is connected uh, to Gvur, etc. Afar is connected to Malchus. So they are part of it. So this is the chemistry, the spiritual chemistry of the universe. Not just the universe, every soul is made up of the ten. That's why in Sphere Sa'imer we speak about Yusukan Mashapagamti Bisphere, right? Chesed Shabbat Chesed, Malchus Shabbat Chesed, Teferis Shabbat Netzach, Hoyt Shabbat whatever it may be. All of the various, but it's generally ten. ten. Which is why the number ten is a whole, considered a wholesome number. Not just in Judaism, but in all cultures you go from one to nine, one to ten, because it originates in creation. There are ten utterances with which the world is created. It's also the ten makas, it's the ten aseris adibris, it's the esesphiris, it's the ten koiches of the nefesh. There are known as chachma, bina, das, chesed, gvura, teferis, netzachay, yisoyed, and malchus. Or in the Rosh Hashanah, it's chabad, chagas, nehim. But each one of these spheres is married, is a marriage between light and container, between energy and vessel. For example, chesed, there's the passion of love, and then there's how you're going to express it. And the same is true with every other component. There is the energy of it, and then there's the keli of it. And this is the difference. In Taihu, you had all the midas, but the iris are much stronger than the kalim. And thus, he says, in Taihu, it was nekudais zu tachazu b'lihiskalalos. Each mida is self-contained. Each mida is called a nekuda, a self-contained point that is not integrated with any other points. In other words, chesed is self-standing, gvur is self-standing, teferis is self-standing, bina is self-standing, malchus, everything is self-standing. Everyone is its own essence. And as a result, when it evolves, it produces the animals that we know, it produces the beasts that we know. When you look at animals, when you look at the animal kingdom, every animal has its own distinctive nature. And you can't negotiate with it. And you can't expect it to develop a different nature. You can't expect the tiger to be anything but the tiger. And the cheetah to be anything the cheetah. And the sheep to be the sheep. And the eagle to be the eagle. And the raven to be the raven. Each one with its distinctive nature. And there's no integration. Why? Because spiritually the energy comes from the world of Toyu. And in the world of Toyu, every mida is completely self-contained. It's extreme. It's absolute. I am who I am and I am not who I am not. Completely independent to an extreme. There's no what's called hiskalalus, which means seeing yourself as part of a cloud and borrowing and lending. Individuality, so to speak, to its extreme. Hiskalalus means integration, but it comes from the word klal. Klal means I am not only I. I'm also part of a cloud. In other words, there's part of you and me, and there's part of me and you. That's what we talk about Claudius. We speak about the we think about a family. What does it mean? It means there's part of me and you, right? And there's part of you in me. It means I learn from you. It means you learn from me. I take from you, and I give you. I borrow from you, and I lend to you. That's Hiskalalus, integration. For this, there's a certain weakness that I have to have. A weakness that allows me to be opened up to other realities that are not my natural disposition. Even though ants have much more apparent scholars than we do. What are, they, what are they called? Super organisms. A hundred million ants working together. That's a wonderful question. Much more uh, um, uh, 
cooperation as cooperation, right? Operating in, in groups than, than human beings who behave more like the Leviathan uh, describes or the shark. Right, but, but, but how do we, but, but, excellent. Excellent. But the answer is, it's the ants vis-a-vis the ants. The ants with other ants create a superorganism. And this, the, the, the title in science of superorganism is very important. Because basically, we're calling 100 million ants one body. One body. So it's basically, it's basically operating in a way of complete unity and integration with who? With the one who is you. With the one who is part of you. I saw the. I saw at some point they had a, a video of a. Uh, I think it was it was a, a herd of, of either lions or or wolves. The buffalo one. And 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 a sheep ends up over there. A baby sheep. So for a few minutes, I think it's a wolf, right? It's very playful and and, very, and it's like wow. This is like the wolf shall lie with the lamb. Literally, Vigarza Avim kevesh. But then it's like almost after ten minutes, a kenzachnisht helfen. He can't help them, and he just he just kills the sheep. Like there's a certain tenderness you're hoping for. Like maybe for ten, maybe for a few days, you won't be a wolf. I would say that the people are the same superorganism as as ants. You can't. We, we're in it, so we see all the differences. But if you would look from the outside. We create computers, we create all these things, all that stuff takes working together. We build cities, we do all this kind of stuff. Maybe it's no different. If you could zoom in on the ants enough, you might or you know, really get into their perspective. You might actually see that they probably see differences between themselves. But I think you're saying more that the Ariscalus goes beyond the members of our own species. Right. Our scalolus could transcend, as we're gonna see, our own confined uh, our own confined disposition and chemistry. It may not. That's the point. Remember we have the animal within us as well. We have the human within us, and we have the animal within us, and that is also part of our escalolus. That we have an animal within us, and we have the we have the human within us. A question that actually popped in my mind isn't that isn't that like said, is the building blocks, and then the spheres is the one that controls the energy of it. That could be part of it. Channels. That could be part of it. Yeah. So. Uh, The kol echad ve'echad, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven lines from the bottom. The kol echad ve'echad, the kol midoyim who's b'fniyatzma, the kol echad ve'echad ena yachal lisbul chaveira. The key words: each one cannot be soivel, cannot tolerate, cannot create room. Also from the word savlanut, I have no patience, and I can't be soivel like civilized Mitzrayim. I can't be soivel, my friend. What do I mean? I can't be soivel. I have no space for it in my brain. I just have no space for it. Because I completely experience who I am, and therefore, this is what the Pasuk indicates when it says, Now here we have a fascinating interpretation, and since in our generation, few of us bother to learn Chumash well, so let me tell you what he's talking about, because he's not going to explain what he means. He realized that everybody knows Chumash by heart. At the end of Ayishlach, it's one of those parshies that people, you know, they just shut down. These are the kings that reigned in the country of Edom before there was ever a king for the Jewish people. Now, this is strange. We're holding in parshies of Ayishlach, 
All we have alive from the Jewish people is we have Yitzchak who's alive, we have Yaakov who's alive, we have Esau who's alive. So he says, here are the kings of Edom before there was ever a king for the Jewish people. So this is describing some event that's very hard to understand. And he starts off a list. I'm going to read. There was a king in Edom, his name was Bela. He comes from a city called Dinhava. He dies. This is all Edom. Who reigns? Instead of Bala, who's the next king? Yoiva. Vayamas, Yoiva. Vayim lechtacht of Chusham. Vayamas Chusham. Vayim lechtacht of Hadad. Vayamas Hadad. Vayim lechtacht of Samla. Vayamas Samla. Vayim lechtacht of Shaul Merechavis Hanar, who's not Jewish. Vayamas Samla. Vayim lechtacht of Shaul. Vayamas Shaul. Vayim lechtacht of a great name, Baal Chonon ben Achbor. Vayamas Baal Chonon ben Achbor. Vayim lechtacht of Hadar. And his wife's name is Mehativel. And we don't know what happened to Hadar. How many kings do you have here? You have here a king called Bela who dies. You have the second is Yoivov, the third is Chusham, the fourth is Hadad, the fifth is Samla, the sixth is Shaul, the seventh is Baal Chonon ben Achbar, and the eighth is Hadar, whose wife's name is Mehetavel. Her father's name was Matred, and his father's name was Mezahav. I'm sure you'll remember all these names, which God actually would like you to remember, because he bothered putting this in the Torah, and the Rambam says that it's exactly the same Kedusha, like a Neuchi Hashem Alekecha. Okay, who are these people? Who are these people? They're all Lefnei Meloich Melech Lebnei Yisrael. So basically you had seven kings who all died. They died, next one died, next one dead, next one. And they're all Lefnei Meloich Melech Lebnei Yisrael. So Rashi basically says that in the future there would be eight kings in the land of Edom, before ever Jews had a king. The first king of the Jewish people was Shaul. Before Jews ever had a king, there were eight kings who came from the land of Edom. That's how Rashi, Rashi explains it, Al-Pipshat. Al-Pinister, what the Balatanya sees in this Pasuk is, this is actually the story of Olam HaToyu. Meloich Melech Lebnei Yisrael is Olam HaTikon. These are the kings of the world of Toyu. There are seven kings of Toyu who die. The eighth king will learn about Melech Hashmini Hadar. His death is not reported. Or as somebody said, right? My obituary. Yeah. So Hadar's death is not reported in Vayishlach. Something happened to Hadar. We don't know what happened to him. We can assume he died. I mean, that's usually what happens to people. But uh, the first seven's death, the first seven. So the Alter Rebbe is assuming that we understand all of this, and he goes straight into it. So look what he says. He says, this is a very interesting interpretation. He says, The only way the new Sphira, the new king, can emerge is if the first king died. There's no coexistence. That's because everybody feels his own essence, his own self, in such a ferocious way. Because of the intensity of how much you're aware of yourself, you have no space for your colleague who represents a character that is opposite of you. They're opposite drives, they're opposite tendencies. In the world of Toyu, Chesed does not allow. 
for the existence of Gvurah. It's either me or you. And Gvurah does not recognize the existence of Chesed. I am too true to myself to create space for you. Vahaya behen shvira. And therefore, there was a head-and-head collision. And what happens when you have a head-and-head collision? Both cars are totaled. And what happens to the pieces? They fly all over the place. So what happened to the pieces? As these pieces evolve, these spiritual energies evolve. This is after the explosion. means level after level, cause after cause, cause after cause. The physical world that we're aware of, on all four levels, Doimim is lifeless matter. Tzemeach is the world of the botany. Chai is the animal kingdom. And even Medaba, which is the human species, all the physicality of our world are the products of the explosion of the shvira, of the breakage of Eilam HaToyu. V'hakoyl, behem ha'moichen. Because they were seven kings. They didn't have the ray that comes from moichen which basically means cognitive awareness, to introduce the concept of bittel, which means, in this sense, the ability of compromise. The art of suspending self to create room for something that is different, different than self. I'm just going to say that this is a different kind of shvira that we've encountered before. Well, every time we've spoken about shvira sekelem for months, it was always the R and the kalim. This is the first time we're going to be a collision between two of them. Excellent. Excellent. Very good, Ha'ara. Earlier we spoke about Shvira Sakalim. The Kali was carrying two of a heavy burden, and it basically broke under the burden. Here, the Shvira is something in addition to that. Each Midah in contrast to the other Midah. Yeah, they break each other, they crash against each other. So now what does this mean? There's a conceptual idea being explained here. Is this denigrating Toyu or elevating Toyu? Both. This comes because Toyu is actually very truthful. I am who I am and I take it seriously. And if I take it seriously, it's to an extreme. Toyu is actually very authentic. And the reason Toyu is authentic, as we will see, is because Toyu is very aware of its divine energy and therefore... Chesed says, if God is Chesed, because that's what Chesed is, then anything else is idolatry. Anything else is, is wrong, is false. In other words, Toyu experiences the truth of infinity. Because it experiences the truth of infinity, everything is infinite. So if I am truthful, there's no end to me. How can I create space for you, which is falsehood? I have to be always in every situation, I have to be fully present, and I cannot compromise because I'm cutting down truth. I'm destroying truth. Toyu is extremely idealistic in a certain way. Toyu says, if this is MS, it has no limits. There's no room for anything else. We don't make compromises just to appease. I'm not a diplomat. I'm not a politician. I don't do things to fit in so everybody should be happy with me. I am true, fully. You don't like me? Let's fight. <laughs> there's something, it's important to understand because there's something very pure, very idealistic in Toyu. Now, is Toyu right or Toyu wrong? Toyu is both right and wrong. Toyu is right because God is infinite. That's true. 
where, where Toyu is wrong is because Toyu is already the way God is captured in spheres. And therefore, each sphere becomes infinite. So now what happens is there's no room for any other sphere. So the elocus that the sphere is experiencing is authentic because it's divine. But it's experiencing it through a particular medium. And that medium now becomes infinite. And when that medium becomes infinite, so now there's no room for any other medium. There's no room for any other keli. There's no room for any other instrument. That's what we mean. The oiris and toyo are so powerful. Every oir sees itself as infinite and there's no room. I can't be soivel anything else. Because I am so in touch with who I am. I am so in touch with my own truth that this is the only thing that can exist. There's no other room for anything else. This is it. Where would it express itself? In practical ways. It would express itself in many ways. It could express itself sometimes in very constructive ways, but sometimes in very destructive ways, which is what happens in Toyo. And basically, the inability to make room for somebody else. The inability to create compromise. The inability to say that this is my perspective and this is your perspective. And maybe there is legitimacy to your perspective. Maybe. Maybe not. In the world of Toyu, no. This is my perspective. If I'm convinced that this is truth, this is absolute. There's no negotiations. As we say, my way or the highway. Or as the t-shirt reads, I'm very easy to get along with once you learn to worship me. That's all I ask of you. Learn to worship me and then I'm the best guy in the world. <laughs> as long as you're part of me, we're good. Vayimlech vayamas. Vayimlech vayamas. You want to be Moilech? The other guy has to die first. <laughs> we cannot uh, both be together. Reb Chanina ben Tradin says, Have him espalo b'shloimer shalmalchus shalmoli moiro ishes re'eyu chayim bloi. Pray for the welfare of the government, Malchus, and Reb Chanina ben Tradin was not talking about a very benign government. He was murdered by the Romans. Have him espalo b'shloimer shalmalchus. Why? Because if not for the fear of Malchus, one man swallows up the other one alive. Now, Pirkei Yavis is usually not written in a poetic way. Why doesn't Reb Chanina ben Tradin just say, Without Meirah shalmalchus, people kill each other. No, people swallow up each other alive. One of the explanations that's explained in Chassidus is, Reb Chanina ben Tadion is also speaking symbolically. Ishes re'eyu chayim bloi means, I don't want you dead, I want you alive, but I want you swallowed up inside of me. You could live, but you live inside of me. Sometimes we work for people, or we hire people. We want them to live, we want them to function, but as one reality... You are in my womb. You are an extension of my imagination. You are part of my universe. As long as you don't go out of that orbit, I will give you bonuses. I'll treat you well. I'll send you on vacation. But remember, you live in me. You don't live outside of me. And the moment you flex your muscles and you want to become an independent person, (laughs) yes, and you become an enemy. Often marriages function this way. You could be very happy as long as you don't have an independent reality. You don't have your own heart. You don't have your own ambition. You don't have your own dreams. You don't have your own personality. As long as an extension of my personality. And some spouses work very hard for years to make sure that they can crush the spirit, the individuality of the other in order that they should be able to have shalom bias. They should be able to have free reign with no resistance. And they'll tell you, the faster you surrender the easier this process will be. Just surrender. Just lose it. And some people do it for the sake of peace. This is the concept where the only way I could be a melech is if you die. 
Vayimlach Vayamas, Vayimlach Vayamas. This happens in every sphere of Tayu. Chesed has to die for Gvura to exist. Gvura has to die for Tiferes. Tiferes has to die for Netzach. And when they both want to live, they kill each other. They get into a fight. It's like when the two, speaking about bees, there's always the queen bee. What is it called? The queen bee? And the question is, who's going to be the queen bee? It's not so partial. The bees have to decide on the proper queen bee. And they start grooming it the moment it the moment it hatches. But sometimes there's a choice. And they push it, start killing each other. Huh? So it's fascinating how they decide who the queen bee is. And one either dies or has to go into exile. Because you can't... And that's why Toyu always works in terms of melucha. I am a king. I'm not a democratically elected president that goes after four years. I'm a king. King means I'm absolutely powerful. Completely. I'm a king. And for me to be a king, you have to die. Because we can't have two kings. There's one boss. There's one, one force that occupies the space. And who does Tayu speak in the name of? In the name of God. In the name of Ain Saif. Because if God is infinity and I express God, how can I not be infinite? It's a chilul Hashem if, I don't, if I'm not infinite. Right? What Tayu doesn't understand is that God transcends spheroids, as we will see. In other words, Tayu is right but wrong. Tayu captures God through a vehicle of, of characteristics. And it turns the characteristics into infinite, rather than God into infinite. Did I make myself clear? We take God through a certain vehicle, and we turn that vehicle into infinity, rather than God into infinity. Yes. And that aspect of God is real. That's where there's a truth to it. We take an aspect of God, we take one piece of the jigsaw puzzle, and the jigsaw puzzle becomes the whole story. And therefore, when you look different than me, I can't tolerate you. But the art of the jigsaw puzzle is not made up of my piece. It's made up of my piece too. But I need your piece. In fact, I need your diversity. Because if all pieces are the same, you know what the jigsaw puzzle is going to look like. It would be like a tune that basically has the same note. You ever heard such a tune? It uses the same note. This is what it sounds like. Uh, I could continue if you want. (laughs) So imagine you're playing the piano and the F turns to the C and says, Stop this! There's only my note. There's nothing else. There's only my note. This is the truth of music. Now, the C is, is part of the truth of music. <laughs> it's part of but it's not the only truth of music. So Tayu has something very real to it. And it takes that realness, and it flies with it to the point where it's not soivil, anything else doesn't contain anything else. It does not create space for anything else. It doesn't see itself as part of the clown. What clown? When clown? I am God and God is infinite. And infinity means it excludes all other reality. And if it excludes all other reality, this is it. Now this means, you sometimes have a soul that comes, you call it on the Shama of Tayu. Sometimes people think in extremes. And that's not always because they're bad. Sometimes it's because the energy they're feeling is very true. And Tayu is very true to itself. And sometimes it's true to itself and therefore it shuns compromise. It feels that all compromise is a lie. And remember, there's a kernel of truth to it. The Kotzker Rebbe once said, a beautiful vart, he said that it says in Medrash Rabbah, Bereshish Rabbah Ches, Parsha Ches, that when Hashem wanted to create the world, Amar Ibsimen, when Hashem wanted to create the world, 
So, Chesed said yes, because there'll be a lot of Chesed organizations in Muncie. Emma said no, because the whole place is a lie. I don't mean Muncie. I mean uh, everywhere else. Yeah, that, that's, what, that's what the manager says. Chesed and Emma has gone into a fight. Chesed said people will do so much chesed, you know, they'll make cake for Shabbos for everybody. And, and Emma said this is a place of lies, don't create the world. It's ain't greiser sheker, one big sheker. Got into a fight. Then there were another two forces. The other two forces was Tzedek and Shalom. So uh, Tzedek said, create the world because people will give tzedakah. And Shalom said, don't create the world because there will be machloikas nonstop. Everywhere there will be machloikas. So Ma'asa Kaddish Baruch what do you do? Natalasa Emes, Rishlichalaretz. He threw away the Emes, that's why it says Emes Meretz Titzmach, Emes is in the air, Emes is in the earth, he threw it away, now once Emes is gone, it's two against one. If it's two against one, you create the world. God follows democracy. Chesed says, yeah, Stucker says, yeah, Emes is gone, you create the world. Frek de Kotzker, he says, I don't understand. Why is Emes the victim? Why did he have to throw away Emes? He could have thrown away another one. He could have thrown away uh, Shalom. What's up, Emes? He says the pshat is Azoy. He says if the Emes is here, <laughs> I don't care how many people are voting against it. So if it garnished Halfen, you will not be able to create the world. Once Emes is not here, now you could go by the majority. When Emes is here, I don't care about a majority. A million can trump one. You say a million, you follow a million versus one if you don't know what the truth is. If you know what the truth is, there's no difference if a million disagree with me. If this is the MS, this is the MS. There's no vote. There's no, up, there's no vote. And what was he really conveying? He was really conveying sometimes people look for majority opinion to find out what's truthful. If you don't know, so you say, if you know what truth is, it doesn't matter. It could be one billion chachmei chalem who say, this is true and this is falsehood. When you know what emes is and one sheket is, it doesn't matter. It's fine. It could be a billion, could be a trillion, could be sectillion. I don't care. If this is truth, this is true. So there's something very beautiful about that also you have to understand. That's also part of Toyu. That's also part of Toyu. Toyu says, this is truth. There's no negotiations. There's no limit to it. There's no, I'm not in the field of making everybody happy. I don't have to make everybody happy. If this is Emma's, this is Emma's. But in the world of Toyu, this creates a shvira. Why does it create a shvira? It creates a break. It creates a break because there's no room for anything else. And this is where the world of Tikkun, which was completely designed in a very different way, in an opposite way. But as we shall see, the world of Toyu is too precious to dismiss it's too precious to disregard. And that's why Tikkun was not built in lieu of Tayu. Tikkun was built inside of Tayu and outside of Tayu. Or as he puts it here, the whole phenomenon of what we call Gashmias is basically a product of Tayu. All Dvarim Gashmim are a product of the Shvira of Tayu. There is an evolution of energy. That's true. But what morphed divine energy from spiritual to physical? Those are the shards of Toyu that broke. That is what creates the physical reality, which is essentially an expression of Toyu. Because, what is it, the idea? The physical reality is the first reality where you don't see anything of God. 
You look at the physical world, you don't see the divine. You don't see the imprint of the divine. You don't see the footprint of the divine, I should say. Where does that come from? That comes from the fact that there was a breaking. The fragmentation of the world of Toyu, which is divine spiritual energy, it breaks and it gets fragmented as those shards evolve and evolve. They, 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 they assume the incarnation of what we call Dvarim Gashman, physical things, which you look at them. They are all products of divine energy, but you can't recognize the source in them. Why can't you recognize the source in them? It would be just like you take the letter, the word Baruch, Beis, Reish, Vav, Chaf, and you break up the word, and you send the base flying. You know those pictures, the base is flying, the Reish is flying, the Vav. You look at the base, what do you see in the base? Can you see in the base the concept of blessing? No. Can you see in the Chaf the concept of blessing? No. When you bring the letters together, the cohesiveness creates a theme. The fragmentation destroys the theme. So in Shvira Sakelem of Toyu, what happens? The fragmentation of the divine energy doesn't allow you to see the theme of it. So when I look at something, I don't see the full picture. I don't see the jigsaw puzzle. I don't see that it's part of Baruch, that it's part of Ein Saif. I just see the base as a self-contained letter. That's what our world looks like. It's a fragmented world. I look at our world. I, what do I see? I see I am I. You are you. The table is the table. I don't see the spiritual holistic nature of the universe. I don't see the integration of all of reality. It takes a lot of mindfulness and very deep spiritual work to be able to feel the oneness of the cosmos. Physicality, by definition, is very egotistical. I am I, you are you, survival of the fittest. Where does that egotism come from? The shviras hakelim of oilam hatoyu. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.